The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friend, and welcome to another episode of Negotiate Anything. Thanks for spending time with us today. It's listeners like you in 181 different countries that have made Negotiate Anything the most popular negotiation and conflict resolution podcast in the world. I'm your host, Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer, mediator, professor, and the director of the American Negotiation Institute. Before we get started, I have two quick questions for you. Is negotiation a critical part of what you do? Do you need to resolve conflict and persuade at work? If you answered yes to both of those questions, visit our website to learn more about our negotiation workshops. We've traveled the country working with professionals just like you, and we'd love to have the opportunity to work with you too. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Frank, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate this. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, name's Frank Hagen. I run an organization called AmSpirit Business Connections, and we help entrepreneurs, sales reps, and professionals become more successful through professional relationships, business networking. Essentially, it's a weekly meeting that our members join, belong to, participate in. But my background is, uh, like you, I'm, I've got a law degree. I was an attorney. I was an attorney for a while, worked in a really big firm, left that to go into private practice. And when I went into private practice, I found that I knew nothing about building a business, getting clients, networking. And uh, that led me into essentially this organization. I got really joined it, got really involved and um, through it became successful. And then at one point bought it out. And I've been doing this since uh, I've been involved some form or another since 97. It's been Very a while. nice. Yeah, that's great. And what was your practice area when you were practicing? Well, when I was with the firm, I was with, it was Coopers and Liber and now it's Price Waterhouse. I was just a tax attorney or tax consultant. Technically, not even an attorney. My license was inactive. But when I went into private practice, because I had a law degree, I had an MBA from Ohio State, and I had accumulated a CPA while in public accounting, I just fell into helping people buy and sell businesses, mergers and acquisitions. I don't like to use the term mergers and acquisition simply because, uh, you know, when you're selling a selling a beer, wine drive through is not a merger and acquisition. I mean, it is, but it just, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Very cool. Yeah, this this will be great. And I think it's going to be especially timely given the date. It is currently March 30th in the middle of um, the the coronavirus epidemic. I, you know, it, being online, we thought we knew the meaning of going viral, but now we really do know what it means to go viral. Goodness gracious. But given the the circumstances, we're presented with a new situation, a bit of a new reality. So when we first discussed uh, the the content for this episode, we were thinking about networking mainly face-to-face, but now a lot of us are in a situation where we have to network virtually. So we're going to intertwine some of those tips, virtual networking as well, to make this relevant. But before we get into the content, we'll just do a quick summary of what we're going to address. First, we're going to talk about the science of relationship building, then we're going to move toward the benefit of small talk, and then finish up with how to network with someone who doesn't want to network with you, which is going to be really interesting. But before we hit any of that, let's talk about how networking can make you a better negotiator. Well, you know, it's interesting. I have listened to podcasts you've been on, you're on my podcast, and I've, you know, followed some of the stuff you've put out there. And, you know, there's a lot of parallels between what you talk about and what I talk about. 
And I guess the, the analogy I use is there's a house and uh, you're on the west side of the house looking through a window and I'm, I'm on the north side of the house looking through another window. We're both looking into the same room and we're seeing the same things, describing it a little different, but it's all the same stuff. And, and really what it comes down to is relationships are everything. Everything in life is relationships. Referrals are relationships, how we deal with our family is relationships, and the foundation of those relationships is trust. And that's true when you're talking about professional relationships, networking, and it's true with respect to, to negotiating. It's, it's trust. If you, don't, if you don't have that relationship, you don't have that trust, it's, going to, it's not going to work out, right? The formula I was taught from a, a friend of mine, a fellow networker, is you know trust is simply you know time plus value, you know adding value of some sort. And we say value, it's not necessarily money, but over time by adding value, just lending an ear, you're going to build trust in other people. So that's essentially it. I love it. Makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about the science of relationship building. Where should we start there? What I love about this topic. Networking. When I first started doing what I do, well, first of all, I, I became a franchisee and an owner in the business. Really, it was just more of a, a financial move. Hey, this is a great deal. I'm interested in it's a great deal. But as I started, I started working with it. It wasn't just an ROI that I was trying to achieve. People were coming to me and saying, "How can I be better with respect to networking and, and getting a job or getting business?" So I really started to dig into it. I actually stumbled across a book by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Wayne Baker out of the University of Michigan, and the name of the book is Achieving Success Through Social Capital. And you know, social capital is, you know, they kind of deem it an asset. Our network is an asset. The trust we build in others is really an asset, much like we have stocks and bonds and houses and cars. In reading that book, you know, immediately it's like, oh my gosh, there are people actually out there studying this. And studying how it works. And so there are a lot of great studies. The one I really like to talk about is, uh, well, there are lots I like to talk about, but I think one that, that applies is what's called the strength of dormant ties. And what happens in our lives is we have, we have people, we all have people in our lives. You're in my life, your wife's in your life, and, and so on and so forth. We have people in our lives, but as we move along, you graduated law school and there were people that you kept connected with and people that you knew that you didn't. And those ties go dormant. And a lot of times what people do is they look at those dormant ties and they say, oh, oh, well, you know, it was nice to know them. And the great example I use trying to get him on my podcast, but there's a guy in my fraternity named Bert, and he was the, he was the party king. If there was a party, he was at the center of it, planning, executing, not cleaning up, but whatever. He was at the center <laughs> of it. And, you know, graduating, it's like, OK, kind of lost touch with him. And it's like, you know, do you want to reconnect with Bert? It's like, well, you know, Bert's the fraternity drunk. You know, he's the he's the fraternity party king. And my mind is he's still on that plane, right? He's still at that, you know, he's he's in a bar somewhere. Well, at one point, Bert, you know, well, Bert was always very smart. He's a smart guy, just didn't necessarily apply himself in college, but he got serious about life. Fast forward, he's got a PhD. He's a professor at college. You know, and so reconnecting with him, not that I'm get, trying to get any kind of personal gain, but the guy's a sharp guy. And so we think that people just kind of stay where we leave them in life. And we have to recognize that there are that they move along. Now, there was a study that was done. It was a, a cooperative study between Northwestern, George Washington University and Rutgers, where they actually had MBA students reach out and reconnect with dormant ties. 
to work on something that they were working on at work. These are executive MBA students, so they work during the week and were at school on the weekend. Said, you got this issue at work, reach out to somebody that you haven't talked to in a while and see if you can get some help. And they were amazed at the amount of help they could get because they were bringing to the situation a fresh mind, a fresh approach to the problem and made them all realize that, you know, these dormant ties, there's, there's a ton of potential there. And really what that underscores is we build trust and we think, okay, there's a lot of effort that goes into building trust, but it truly is an investment. My Bert, my friend, my fraternity brother, my college teammate, we played football together. I've lost touch with him, but I've never stopped trusting him, right? There was always that he was somebody, you know, he was somebody that if I needed it, he would come through for me and vice versa. And that's never gone away. And so it was a small investment that was made in building this relationship 30 some years ago, and it's still there. And uh, we, we lose track of, we, we lose sight of, uh, of those really assets in our life. But so it certainly underscores trust. Right. This is really interesting. And given the time and the circumstances we all find ourselves in right now, it seems like now might be a good time to start investing in rekindling some of those relationships because people have time, a little bit more time, maybe not a little bit more focus. I think we're all right. very distracted. But as far as time goes, I think that might be one of the, the many ways we can make use of this time and make it productive. No, I absolutely agree. And I have noticed a, a tremendous uptick in LinkedIn activity, people looking at my profile, people reaching out to me because of, because of time. And the problem that people, I guess the devil's advocate argument that people will throw out there is, is well, we have time, but we're isolated. We don't have face-to-face -face time. And my argument is, is you don't need it. You don't, you don't really need it. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to connect. Our workshops are completely customized to reflect the specific and individual concerns faced by you and your team. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Click the link in the description to learn more. And now, let's get back to the episode. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product, though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so... 
We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. There's nothing that says that you have to be face-to-face to build trust. I mean, you and I have, you and I have talked several times. We've never met face-to-face. I feel like I can trust you. Before we hit record, I was sharing the story of a guy I met out in uh, Massachusetts. His name is Matt Ward. He's a professional speaker. Funny guy. We have talked dozens of times just on a whim. You know, he'll he'll shoot me a link and we'll get on and we'll do Zoom calls. Six months, nine months, we've kind of known each other and, you know, joke about whatever. And he finally came to Columbus. He's a franchisee in, in my organization now. And you got off the plane, I met him at the airport, and it was like, oh, okay, hi, Matt. You know, it was, you know, he was a little shorter than I thought he was. Um, <laughs> but other than that, it's, you know, it was like we were we were buds, you know, just like I would, just like I would, you know, pick up somebody, uh, you know, a friend that I saw all the time from the airport. And it just goes to show that, you know, while there's distance, you know, just seeing somebody on the screen talking to somebody tends to build trust. Absolutely. And it's funny, when, when you told me that story, it made me realize that a lot of my friends as a podcaster, I've never met in person. But then when I think about it, sometimes I have to do a really dig deeply in my memory to to see, did I ever meet you in person or not? Because yeah. the relationship feels so close. Yeah. You know, it's sort of like when you remember going off to college, I remember going, I'll tell, share my perspective, I went off to college and you have this new roommate that you've never met before. And I, I went to college in the day where you didn't know you were just paired with somebody. Now people kind of have the opportunity to get to know people. But I didn't know. I didn't know my roommate. I went off to a small college to play football. But my point was in three days, it felt like I knew these guys forever. It felt like I could, you know, like I could totally trust these guys. And that's what, you know, that's, you know, it doesn't take long to build trust. It just, it, it happens quickly. Right. And so now in this new situation that we find ourselves in where we are being legally instructed to try and stay away from people physically, what are some things we need to keep in mind when it comes to building relationships and building trust online? Well, I don't know that there's any new rules. I think it's, I mean, people for years have been asking me, now mind you, I've been doing this for the better part of 25 years. And it all predates LinkedIn and people are like, well, LinkedIn's going to kind of crush your business. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, we had relationships before we had the telegraph. We had relationships before we had the telephone. We had the relationship before we had the Internet. We had the we had relationships before we had LinkedIn. So all technology is doing is it's allowing us to communicate faster with more people over a greater distance. That's all. I mean, you know, we're both in Columbus, Ohio, generally speaking. You could be on one coast and I could be on the other, and we would still have this sort of relationship. So it really comes down to people getting people to know you, like you, and trust you. And those are universal principles that, you know, came about with the dawn of humanity. And so technology might change, but those principles really, really kind of – well, they're universal. I mean, they're, they're there. And so it's a question of developing that that early on relationship. And I know one of the things we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about small talk. And I know people roll their eyes when they think about small talk, but it's so important. You know, having that having that conversation, those early conversations with people where you can, you know, you can kind of get a sense about somebody, what they're about. And we 
as humans, we're, you know, we have these gut instincts and, and seeing somebody really helps, you know, people's mannerisms helps, but you can kind of tell in people's voices what they're about. And I think that's where, you know, that's where small talk really kind of uh, really helps out, you know, because you don't want to jump right into brass tacks, right? I mean, you, you know, when you met your wife, it didn't get, it didn't start off with, uh, you know, what kind of house are we going to get? It was nothing like that. What kind of music do you like? You know, when's your birthday? Things like that. Right. And so let's talk about the science of this, of small talk. Why is it so powerful? Well, you know, it's interesting. They, there's a study, they did this study over in Poland. They did it at a university, Opel University. And uh, what they did was they took a young woman, a researcher, part of the research team, and they put her on the street. And she was instructed to approach 100 women, 100 other women who were by themselves, randomly approach them. And it was it was only women because if she's approaching men, it, you know, you get the whole man woman thing. It just kind of complicates things. So she was only approaching women, and they were all going to be by themselves, just so all the variables were as low as possible. And she, with 50 of the women, again, this is all done at random. Uh, with 50 of the women, she was instructed to go up to them and say. Would you buy a candle from me? That's all she would say. And then she would get a yes or a no. And then with the other 50 women, she would go a different route. And with the other, and again, this is all random. So, you know, one and two might be, would you buy a candle from me? And then that's the control. And then three through five might be, you know, with, with the experiment. But anyhow, the experiment was simply this. She would go up to people and she would say, how are you doing? And they would they would respond. Oh, I'm having a horrible day, or I'm having a great day. And and the researcher then would respond accordingly. Oh, I'm sorry, you're having a horrible day, or it's wonderful, you're having a great day. And then she would follow up. Would you buy a candle from me? Now, asking somebody how their day is, listening to that and responding is about the shortest, smallest bit of small talk you can possibly have. I can't think of a conversation that's less than that. And so what they found is, is that in the situations where the control, where she just went up and said, would you buy a candle for me? Of those 50 women, three bought candles. Of the experimental group where she said, how are you doing? And then respond, they responded and she responded in kind, 11 people bought candles. Now, I get it. 11 out of 50 is not great, but it's a whole lot better, almost four times better than three candles. And so what they explained in the research and what's going on in our minds is our brains do our brains do lots of things but one of the things our brains do they call it heuristic processing and heuristic processing are just shortcuts that the brain likes to take and so it has learned over time our lifetime the lifetimes of our parents and our parents parents and so on and so forth it has learned over time that when we have these conversations with people when people express you know affection towards us or to show an interest in us, we're hardwired to trust them quicker, right? Somebody come up and say, would you buy something for me? I mean, the, the walls go right up. But if it's how are you doing, you know, all of a sudden this heuristic processing kicks in and people are like, oh, okay, I trust this person. Sure, I'll buy a candle. And this heuristic processing, there's lots, many forms of it. It's kind of a generic term, but that's what's happening with the small talk. By having the small talk, coming into a client's office or in the coronavirus days, getting online with somebody or getting on a call with somebody, if you go right into brass tacks, right into the sales process, you're going to lose people. But if you start with the small talk, you greatly improve your chances of, of having a successful call. Doesn't guarantee you're going to get the sale. At least you're going to move trust along and have more of a relationship with them. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and the thing is, when it comes to these difficult conversations, negotiation, conflict resolution, 
These things are difficult enough as they are, as they stand by themselves. But when it comes to getting an edge in these conversations, increasing our likelihood of success, we should want to do everything within our power to do so. And uh, like I, I agree with you in a lot of my workshops, I know it takes a little bit of time <laughs> to get people warmed up to the idea that we're going to spend about 10 minutes talking about small talk, how to do it and its value. But it is just that powerful. And it gives you just, it increases your likelihood of success. You want to increase your batting average. That's what we're doing with this. When it comes to small talk, now taking small talk as we traditionally understand it and, and talking about virtual negotiations or calls that we're having with people, what are some rules of thumb to keep in mind when we are doing this digitally? Well, you know, I don't know that it's any different than in the real world. In, in a traditional sense, you just you I tell people you need to get them talking. You need to get them talking. You need to get them sharing. It's not about you. Small talk is not about you talking. It's about you listening. That's the first key. Get them sharing. Learn about them. And the big key to this is trying to find commonalities, trying to find things that you have in common with that person. And, and I do that when I'm talking with somebody I find in Columbus, Ohio. Most people aren't from Columbus, Ohio. They're here from somewhere else, and there's a story. And I try and find out where they're from and hear their story as to where, you know, how they got there, where they're from, you know, and if they're from Nebraska or, you know, you must be a Cornhusker fan, you know. Now, they might tell me, I don't, I have no interest in sports. Okay, I know not to go down that path, but usually it's, you know, it, they might, you know, then you can have a conversation about that. So you look for, for commonalities. And it reminds me of a, a study that was done. I think it was University of California, Santa Barbara. What they did was they they brought people in to do this research, and they thought they were coming in for research study on astrology, zodiac signs. And so they they would bring a person in. But they would always bring two people in. One was the the test subject. The other one was a, a confederate, and the researcher was in the room. And they basically said, okay, we're gonna we're going to do this study on astrology, but to before we do that, I need you to fill out some paperwork. And the whole paperwork thing was kind of a ruse, except for the very top. At the very top, they were supposed to put their name and their birthday. And so the Confederate, the person who was in on the on the study, who was posing as another test subject, would always look over and see the birthday of the other person. And so when they were done filling out this questionnaire, and again, the questionnaire was totally red herring and really had no bearing on the on the test, on the experiment. When they were done with that questionnaire, the researcher would look at them and say, okay, what I need to do now is I've got 12 packets here, one for each zodiac sign or each astrological sign. So I'm going to need to know your birthday to give you the appropriate packet. And the researcher would turn to the Confederate first and say, okay, when is your birthday? Now, in half the time, the Confederate would say the exact same birthday as the other test subject. The other half the time, they just throw out a random date. Now, when's your birthday, Kwame? September 26th. All right, September 26th. So we're sitting there, and I'm the Confederate, and they asked my birthday, and I said, well, my birthday's September 26th. You're going to kind of you're going to kind of bolt up. It's like, oh, my God, we're twins. We have the same birthday, <laughs> right? We've got this, you know, high five. We, you know, we're, you know, we're the same. And the other half, it might, you know, when's your birthday, Frank? Well, it's, you know, it's October 13th. Ho, ho. You know, no big deal. There's no match there. So what happened then is the researcher would hand out these packets to the, the different participants and say, okay, we're done. You guys, you know, do your assignments, whatever instructions they were given. And 
he would leave and the, the Confederate and the test subject would be in the room. And the Confederate then would turn to the test subject in each instance and say, hey, listen, I've got this literature class that I need to write a paper for. It's an eight-page paper. I'm supposed to have somebody review it and write a critique of it, just a one-page critique. Would you do that for me? I need to have somebody I really don't know well to do it. Now, in the situations where they didn't share a birthday, about 20% of the people would say yes. In a situation where they shared a birthday, it more than doubled. And so what that goes to show you is the power of finding these commonalities with people, finding things we have in common, whether it's kids, it's sport team, sports teams, you know, maybe it's a, you know, maybe it's an alma mater, you know, I see people who, you know, go to Miami University, you know, oh, when'd you go? It's immediately they have this connection, can talk about bars in, in Oxford, Ohio. So when you have these conversations, whether in person or online, is find, look for those commonalities, try and explore and find those commonalities. And that's a great way to go about your small talk and, and that helps build trust. Again, it's that heuristic processing that makes it happen. They went to Miami University too. I've got to trust them. Right. Maybe not quite like that, but you know, just it just moves along that much quicker. Exactly. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so I think this is a great time to transition into the third point when it comes to networking with somebody who doesn't want to network. And I know we've all run into that situation. So what are some solutions for that? Well, I think the point to be made here is is that trust doesn't build at the same rate. And I run into this from time to time, you know, there'll be people in our groups and they'll be looking around and seeing other people are, wow, they're getting business and I'm not. It's like, yeah, you have to understand they're selling flowers or candles, I guess, to use another example. But, you know, somebody who's, somebody who's selling flowers, the level of trust needed to purchase flowers is a lot lower than, you know, if, what a financial advisor might need. So if, you know, you, you're going to get your wife flowers and you're meeting, you've met this florist really don't know them that well, but you need to get flowers, you're going to take a chance on that person because the, the risk might be, is relatively low, right? 40, 50 bucks. It, it's relatively low. And if it doesn't work out, the flowers show up and they're not what you really wanted and they don't last long. It's like, okay, I'll just move on to another florist next time. I'll try something different. But if you and your wife are sitting down to meet somebody about your life savings, you're not going to move that quickly, right? You're not going to take a chance on that. You're going to really have to know somebody. And so it's, it's important to understand that people's level of trust moves at different paces. It, it moves at a different pace depending upon their history. So if you're somebody who's been burned in the past, right, you know, once bitten, twice shy sort of a logic, that person is not going to move as quickly. So you're going to run into people who are not going to want to engage in small talk, are not going to want to, and I see this, I'll be talking with somebody, they don't want to do the small talk. They want to get right down to the brass tacks. In reality, you can't push it. You can't force it. And I, when I run into those situations, I just deal with it the best I can and know that I've just got to be, take it a little slower. Some people really enjoy that. Some people really, you know, they enjoy kind of the relationship aspect of it and others don't. And the ones that don't, you either just need to move on from them or tr just try and be, try and be patient. You don't need to understand why they don't trust as quickly as you might. You just need to understand that they, they do. And, you know, Sometimes people don't want to share in a small talk conversation as much as somebody else. You know, you just have to kind of, you kind of have to take your conversation partner, your networking partner as you find them. They're, they're not all going to be like you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think we've all experienced that. And 
I'm I'm working with LinkedIn to do a, a personality-based persuasion course for mm-hmm. leaders and managers. And one of the things we talk about is agreeableness as one of the uh, five personality traits, uh, main personality traits that we're focusing on. And some people are very agreeable, high. They they rank highly on that scale, and they are friendlier and they trust faster. But then, if you are lower on the the scale of agreeability, then you will be less likely to trust. And they're just people who are like that. Nature, nurture, whatever it might be, it is what it is. And you have to take people as you find them and make the adjustments. And if your response is to say, you know what, I'm going to make them love me. (laughs) You know, that's, it's, you're going to end up doing more harm than good because it's like trying to fish more aggressively. You're just going to scare the fish away. That's a good analogy. That's a really good analogy. Thank you. Yeah. And so, as it relates to online interaction, I know that our strategies and tactics that we use for the most part interpersonally online are going to be more or less the same when it comes to relationship building. But have you noticed anything different when it comes to the amount of time it takes to gain somebody's trust when you're building that trust exclusively virtually versus in person? Um, you know, I, I, I guess I really haven't noticed per se. The thing with online is, is they're available really 24-7, whereas in a traditional sense, you and I get getting together, it's got to, you know, we both have to have the time to meet up for coffee. And so it's just not going to happen as quickly. Whereas if we're doing it online, you can I, you and I can have an interaction. We can, you know, message back and forth and then do a Zoom call or Skype call and then message back and forth. So there can be a lot more interaction over a short period of time, whereas if it's all done traditionally, it's okay, we met, this is great, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, we'll do it again. But what I find is, is that people try and push it quickly. I'll get, I'll get messages from people, hey, let's, I'd love to have a conversation with you about collaborating. You know, that's the equivalent of you, you know, walking up to your wife before you've ever met her and saying, hey, I want to I wanna talk to us about getting, dating, about getting engaged, right? So, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute, what happened to having a cup of coffee? And then, so what I will tell people is, listen, I would love to get acquainted with you the notion of collaborating, that's, you know, that's a few conversations away. Let's just, let's get on the phone. Let's get acquainted and see where that goes. And some people aren't about that. You know, no, you know, that's, that's a waste of their time. One guy emphatically told me that, you know, oh. LinkedIn's not for friends. This is not for, you know, this is for business, you know, small talks for chumps, kind of a, kind of a response. <laughs> and, uh, and that's fine. You know what? He's going to be, you know, he's going to have to work a lot harder to, connect with people. You know, that's just, that's the reality. And I, I just find getting acquainted with people, it doesn't always work, but I think it works much more often than, you know, getting right down to brass tacks and, you know, trying to figure out how we can help each other. I don't even know you, you know, I don't know if I, if I can help you. I don't know if I want to help you. I'm not going to refer you to people until I get that warm and fuzzy about you. Exactly. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think this uh, is going to be extremely helpful for people who are trying to get a, a bit more of an edge when it comes to connecting with people. Because relationships are, are great to build in general. Uh, and when you think about it from a, the perspective of a negotiator, it, it gives you an edge when it comes to persuasion as well. So there's a lot of value that just comes organically from the relationship building process. And And the thing that I really love about this is the fact that it's something that we can practice every day with the people around us. So the challenge for you, listener out there, is to try to use some of the techniques that Frank 
shared in this episode and try to use it to accelerate your business and and don't use the excuse of, oh, I'll do it later (laughs) because you probably won't. So so try to take action now. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, Frank, before you go, can you tell the listeners about your show and how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, I have a I have a podcast. It's called Networking RX. Uh, it comes out a couple times a week. The best way to get a hold of me, well, there are lots of ways to get a hold of me, but a central hub for all my communication is a website, frankagan.com. I've got an email link on there. I've got my my LinkedIn, my Facebook phone numbers. It, it's a it's a great it's a great sense of place. Everyone likes to communicate differently. Some people really would prefer to be on LinkedIn and and others email. And I'll I'll take whatever. I prefer email, but I will communicate with people as they're most comfortable. Perfect. Frank, thank you again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Had a great time. Likewise. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.